talk about a couple of things relating relating to the end times and relating to some misinterpretations or, or what I believe is some misinterpretations of some things and because how we view these things actually I believe for me now this isn't something I've whipped together in the last week um, this has been a journey of two years uh, that the Lord has taken me on of understanding certain scriptures, understanding certain verses. And I really believe it's important because we can go in the charismatic world sometimes, you know, we can go into lazy theology or we don't, we know, we know, oh, I know that's right, but I don't know the verses and I don't have an understanding. I just know that's, I, I just, I just, I just subscribe to that, but I don't actually know why I subscribe to that, and uh, scripturally. And then sometimes we have verses that we're like, well, this is what it's been taught for the last hundred years, and I've never actually, I've heard Christians go, well, the Bible says this. I'm like, that's actually not in your Bible. It's actually not a verse. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, nah, look it up. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's not in the Bible. And it's like, oh, so you've just made a doctrine or something out of that when it's actually not scriptural. And it's really important that we understand how to read scripture and this thing of reader relevance is really important. And it's, it's so significant that when we read scripture, we can go, oh, there's actually cultural context that they're talking about right here. There's actually, uh, there's actually important information that I need to understand to get first and foremost what this what they would have been read because you know they would have got the letters to the Ephesian church or Timothy would have written to you know to the church or Paul would have written and they would have got up and read Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 16 amen they would have got the letter and gone here's what Paul wrote to the church in Rome and then they would have read it all out from chapter 1 to chapter 16 they wouldn't have just gone, you know, it's like trying to come, sometimes it's like trying to come halfway into a, you know, film with foreign subtitles and try and work out the plot. You know, it's like you jump into chapter eight of Romans and you're like, what's he talking about? Okay, I've got to read chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven to understand chapter eight or chapter nine. Does that make sense? All right. And so we're going to go to Hebrews eight. Firstly, we're just going to start there. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to... I'm going to now I won't leave you in suspense anymore. We're going to talk about one of the verses in the Bible, one of the chapters in the Bible, and we're going to go through it verse by verse. And, and we're going to do a bit of uh, backtracking and seeing the lead up to it. And I personally believe, after studying this out for the last few years, I personally believe it's one of the most misunderstood passages in Scripture. And... It's actually so significant, and it's on the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in, in 70 AD. 
do, do, do you guys know that the temple got destroyed in 70 AD? That's not up for debate. That's not, that's like, you don't, that's not, you can't argue with that one. That's, that happened. <laughs> if you go to Jerusalem, there ain't a temple there anymore. All right. So that happened in 70 AD and um, it's pretty amazing. And I've got the whiteboard here. Uh, actually, let's just, let's just read some scripture and make it a legal meeting. And... Uh, Trying to, I'm trying to get, I'm loosening you up, right? Oh, that's good. <laughs> You're loose. Loosey goosey. Oh, let's just go verse uh, 8. For he finds fault to them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand and bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I should not concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will pour, put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Sorry, Hebrews 8. Did I say Romans 8? I said both. All right, Hebrews 8. My bad. Verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one. So this is talking about the Mosaic covenant makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, like, just read a relevance right here. This is after the cross. I want you to think with me. The first one is becoming obsolete and growing old and is ready to vanish away. I thought it got destroyed when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. I thought that was the end of the old and the beginning of the new. Yes, that's true. But here it says it's becoming obsolete and he's ready to vanish away. Right? Important. Now go to Matthew 21 and this is where we're going to sit. When did Jesus come on the scene? Christmas Day. Christmas Day. <laughs> Most theologians uh, of, will, will say he came around AD 27. Sorry, that's when he started his ministry, sorry. He arrived BC 3. Now, what I'm going to tell you, or what we're going to go through together, this isn't something from the... This is something that I have covered across Presbyterian ministers, Baptist, Anglican, Pentecostal, Charismatics. I've sought this out. This isn't something I've whipped together all of a sudden. And um, the verses that we're going to go through right now, pretty much up to 1890, the year 1890, Luther, Calvin, um, Spurgeon, all these great men of old believed Matthew 24 took place exactly how Jesus prophesied it. 
and they believe it's already happened. It's not a future thing, that it already took place. All right, and I'm gonna probably mess with some of your heads this morning and uh, burst a few bubbles, and that's all right. You can go home and search this out for yourself and do your own research and your own study as well. But Jesus came on the scene in BC3, AD 27 is probably when he started his ministry, died in AD 30, and that's really important, and we're gonna get back to that. And we're gonna start in Matthew 22. Now, this is what's known as the Olivet Discourse. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not found in John. Okay, so there's no, has everyone heard that phrase before, the Olivet Discourse? All that means is Jesus was on the Mount of, Mount of Olives and when he gave his, this great sermon and that we're gonna go through. But we're gonna start in, ver, oh, where are we gonna start actually? We're, we're in Matthew now. We're gonna start in chapter 21 and verse 12. All right, chapter 21. And we're gonna, we're gonna jump around a little bit cause just for time's sake, I don't have time to go through. This is hours and hours, all right? But I don't have time to go through everything. All right, you need to look at this in your Bible. I want, if you have your Bible, you need to, you need to see this for yourself. All right, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, read irrelevance, it is written, all right? He's not talking about something. It's, it's, a, it's in the Old Testament. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. I love it. This temple is a house of robbers right now. And it's supposed to be a house of prayer. Uh, bring the sick. I'm going to heal them all. It's awesome. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. All right, a few things right now. Uh, in the Old Covenant, in the Mosaic Covenant, and talks about it, I think it's in Deuteronomy somewhere, there was, there's a talking about the cleansing of the temple and the priests, the high priests of the temple would come and they would come twice and they would throw furniture against the walls and they would cleanse the temple. Sound familiar? So here we have the great high priest comes cleansing temple. What's he doing? He's beginning. This is the beginning of the temple and what he wants to talk about of the destruction of this temple so that this temple can become the new, the new thing. Right? Go with me to the next parable, the next uh, thing where in verse 18. It says, In the morning as we have returned to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again and the fig tree with it at once. I'd like to propose he's talking about the old temple system. Some people say it's Jerusalem. I'm, I'm happy with either. You'll never come fruit from you again. You have, it's an, a leaves-only tree. 
You have a, a tree that is not bearing fruit and he's, he's cursing it and he's saying, you will never ever bear fruit again. I've seen fig trees, they still bear fruit. So he's not talking about all fig trees. We have one across the road from our house. <laughs> so it wasn't like from that moment on, all fig trees didn't bear fruit. It was a specific thing that Jesus is talking about. Are you tracking? Right, so we've got the temple, we've got the fig tree. He's starting to build a case, right? Then his authority is challenged. And then we've got the parable of the two sons. Right, we're going to just skip through some stuff. Um, hmm. Actually, let's go down to verse 20. When, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, You will not only do what's been done to this future, what's he saying? You will put aside the old ways, right? <laughs> do what's done to this future. But even if you say to this mountain, which mountain? He's sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's looking at the temple. You will say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, listen, if you have faith and you say to this mountain right here, the one that I'm going to destroy, that's going to be torn down, the one that he, they don't know that yet, right? They're like, they're getting the, the start of insight into what Jesus is telling them. There's a new covenant coming. The temple's going to be destroyed. There's a new, if you have faith, not in this mountain, but in the person of Jesus, nothing will be impossible with you. Right? That, that's, what he's, that's what he's getting at. Then we have the two sons. We have Jesus' authority challenged. And then if we go to chapter 22, this is all, it's all one massive builder. Right? We, like I said, we don't have time to go through it. about the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22. And we have giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, and then he starts to talk about the Sadducees. They ask about the resurrection. And then Jesus, uh, at the end of 22... Hmm. I'll just let me just pause for a second. Uh, yeah, and then in chapter twenty-three, we have the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Right, so this is all continuation. It continues on. Jesus says to the crowd and his disciples, this is chapter twenty-three, and he goes starts to go through. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you're not entering it yourselves. Woe to you! You blind guides. I mean, this is our meek and mild Jesus, you know, like <laughs> you blind guides, you know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You've neglected the weightier matters. Woe to you, scribes and hypocrites. I'm just going through it all, right? Seven woes that he says, uh, he says to them. Then in verse 34, we're going to pick it up in verse 34, chapter 23. Now, is he talking to the modern day church or is he, talk, is he actually talking to the scribes and Pharisees of that day? Scribes and Pharisees of that day, right? Not a trick question. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> Verse 34. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. 
so that you so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, 23:34. Therefore I send you prophets from Abel to Zechariah. What on earth is he talking about? In that day, Zechariah was the last book that they had or the last prophet that they had. And he, Jesus is saying all of the blood from Abel to the Zechariah to Zechariah is going to come on this generation. All the judgment is about to come on this generation. And you go, Liam, that's a little bit like, that's a bit unfair. You know, they had thousands, a couple of thousand years of stuff that's happened and it's going to come on this generation. They're about to kill the Messiah. They're about to... The Romans didn't kill Jesus. The Pharisees killed Jesus. Romans obviously played a part in it. But all of the blood came and he's, he's, like, he's like, God is about to judge you. You've had 490 years. That number is, comes from Daniel, but you've had, I don't, I'm not going to go into that. You have 490 years of mercy. And now I sent my son to you and you did not receive him. Yes. He came to his own and you didn't receive him. And now you're going to murder him. And all of the blood from those prophets is going to come on this generation. It's a, I'm, going to be, I'm about to bring this house down. This is Jesus is starting. He's a woe to you hypocrites, you Pharisees. You woe, 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 woe. I'm about to bring this sucker down. I'm cleansing this temple and I'm about to, I'm about to wipe this thing out. Right? So, um, upon this generation... Oh, what was I getting? I was going to write something here. All right, let's go to the next verse, actually. Uh, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If you don't say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, you're not seeing Jesus again. That's what he's saying, right? But he makes this statement. He says all of this is going to come upon this generation. That's really important. Okay. Are you tracking? Okay. Now, how, oh, that's right. How, how long is a generation? Biblical generation. 40 years. Now, it's AD 30. It's good. Bit of Bible study this morning. All right. Verse 20, chapter 24. Verse 1. This is all continuation. You'll see it now. Hopefully you'll see it. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. It's still about the temple. We're still, this is all about 
the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant, and the temple, right? Disciples came to him privately. Oh, sorry, then the next... Uh, but he answered... Uh, sorry, where are we? Disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them. You see all these, do you not? What's he talking about? The temple? But he answered them. You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be? What things? The tearing down of the temple. What? Very important. When will these things be? Um, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? All right, this is when it gets real. <laughs> Jesus, they don't know Jesus is going to die and resurrect. So that's a very strange thing to ask, when will be the sign of your coming? They're not talking, they're the disciples. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a minute. He's just built this case. He's like the vineyard, you know, it's been given to another. And you know that story of the vineyard and the owner and they sent his son and oh, we didn't read it, but that's in there, right? And he's building this case. He says, you know, I'm giving, um, the kingdom of God has come and I'm going to give it to another. And he says, because you didn't do it, right? And then he starts to build this, woe to you, Pharisees, scribes. I'm going to bring, see this temple? There won't be one stone left upon another. They're not thinking death, resurrection, when's he talking about the second coming and the return of Christ that we talk about? They're not thinking that. They're like, when is the sign of your coming? And then people are leaning, leaning, but it says in the end of the age. Yeah, it is. It's the end of the age of the Mosaic law. It's not the end of the world. That world is not the end of the age. It's, it's the word aeon or eon. It's the end of the era. It's the end of the the eon of this age. Does that make sense? You can look it up for yourself. So he's not talking about the coming of the Messiah. Well, that's a very, we can't put that in there. It's a very strange thing to then think, right? He's taught, they're saying, when are you coming in judgment on Jerusalem? When are these things going to happen? <laughs> all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I told you I'm going to mess you all up. And Jesus answered them. So now he answers them. They ask, when is the sign of your coming and the end of this era going to happen? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. There's eight things that Jesus um, prophesies. So there's eight things. See that no one leads you astray, right? Uh, let's just read it. For many will come in my name. I, uh, and say that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. You will hear, uh, uh, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place but the end is not yet. What end? The end of the era, the end of the Mosaic law. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Right, so what have we got? We've got 
false Christs, we've got wars, we've got rumours of wars, um, we've got nations to rise against nations, we've got kingdom against kingdom, and famines, earthquakes, and they're just the beginning. All right? Now, this is important because how many earthquakes and how many times has there been wars? There's wars all the time, right, in our, gener- in our time. There's wars, there's rumours of wars, there's earthquakes, there's things like that going on. And we're like, oh, there's a war in Israel. This is it. It's the, it's the end. This is Matthew 24. People start to go, Matthew 24, Matthew 24. This is the end. This is it. Jesus is coming back. Right? Now, Jesus will come back. I don't fully know what it's going to look like. So I'm not saying that's not going to happen. Right? Don't hear, don't throw things in what I'm not saying. But this is what this is not talking about. Do you know at the time that Jesus came, there was this thing called the uh, Pax Romana. Has anyone ever heard of that before? Do you know what it means? The Roman peace. They'd conquered everything. There was no wars. There's no wars happening right at that point in time. And Rome was a divided kingdom. There was, it was called, they were, they, they were, there was 10 kingdoms within Rome that, that they would say were kingdoms. Or some would even call them nations. This is reader relevance, and the Bible, the Bible can pretty, do a pretty good job of defending itself. You, you, have, uh, this, you have to think. It's very dangerous to go, oh, well, that says that, and it's talking about China. Uh, no, <laughs> it's talking about Jerusalem, <laughs> and it can defend itself. So when we hear of these things and we're like, okay, there will be famines. Is there somewhere in scripture that we hear of a famine? There is in Acts 11. It says, Agabus stood up and perceived by the spirit that a famine was going to come into all the nations. Well, there wasn't a famine in Australia, right? Well, they're earthquakes. Well, we know of three in Scripture. Jesus' is death, Jesus' is resurrection, and Peter and, is it Peter and Silas, they're in, Paul and Silas are in prison, and there was an earthquake. In the Mediterranean around that time, they, historians and theologians say that there were so many earthquakes. So, okay, that's in Scripture. Around that time, uh, Josephus, who's heard of Josephus, one of the great... Christian uh, historians, one of the earliest we have, he, he said there was starting to be infighting, wars, kingdoms, there started to be rumours of wars, there started to be things like that take place, right? So we have in the Bible, we definitely have famines, we definitely have earthquakes, um, we definitely know there's false Jesuses on the scene, I mean that gets mentioned multiple times, do not you know, be deceived, there's false... They've come out from you, and in John he talks about that, and they were of you, and now they're, they're, they're operating in the spirit of the Antichrist. It's a spirit, by the way, not an individual person. Um, you know, let's leave that one alone for now. <laughs> uh, all right, so they're the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up in tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated. This is verse 9. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise. Josephus records that from the time of Jesus' resurrection to the time of the destruction of the temple, which, by the way, 
So Jesus said all of this will happen in this generation, which is 30 AD he dies. And the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. That's a pretty darn accurate prophecy. 120 false messiahs were recorded throughout scriptures that they, they uh, there was even one guy, oh, I forget his name, but he, um, he sat in the temple and he told Jerusalem to, to, get, to basically store up all their food and lock it all away. And they actually, a lot of them actually ended up starving and dying because they believed this guy was the Messiah. It is, you can, yeah, anyway, it's 120 recorded false messiahs that tried to lead people astray. If someone comes in our day and age and they're like, I am Jesus and this is the return of Christ, we're like, you need to be in a padded room in a straitjacket, man. Like, we, we will tie you up and <laughs> cast some demons out of you, right? It, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's like so far removed from the scene. But back then, it's like, oh, and the, it's the return of Christ. They're like, oh, maybe, you know, and thousands. Some of these guys had thousands of followers, like tens of thousands of followers. All right. Many false prophets. So there's false prophets. We read about that in scripture. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Oh, Liam, see, it's talking about salvation. Salvation comes through faith in Christ. Just leave that there. And this is the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Oh, Liam, here it is. This is it. This is it's definitely talking about the end of the world, because this is, this is it. This is the clincher. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Ha ha. What are you going to do with that verse? Has anyone got an Olive Tree Bible app with Strong's on it? Do you want to click on that word world for me, Jonathan, and tell me what it means? Twenty-four. Yeah, just click on that word. Word world. What is the word? It means oikimeno. I'm glad you can pronounce it. Yeah, it's the whole, it's not the word cosmos, which is the entire known planet. It's the word ukimeno, which is a specific location in a specific uh, time inhabited by the Greeks. So now we're going to, we might pause at the end of this just for time's sake. We'll see how we go. But I, I want, I want to show you a couple of things because it says, remember, this is a bit of Bible study and Bible things. The Bible can prove itself. So we've got to go, okay, is there a word that this has happened before in Scripture where the word world or the word nation, because it says, um, oh, I've lost my, my passage there, uh, a testimony to the nations and then the end will come. All right? So I'm going to just take you to a few verses right now. I'm just going to go there really quick just for time's sake. 
In Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days a, creed, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That's not talking about Australia or New Zealand or Austria or Germany. That's talking about the Ukimene. All the Ukimene should be registered. All right, go to Acts 2 if, you want, if you're taking notes. Acts 2, right, it says, um, oh, this is so good. The day of Pentecost arrived and they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men of every nation under heaven. There are multiple times in Romans, in, oh, let's go to Colossians, actually, let's just do this one. This is awesome. This will explain, because it's like, well, the gospel was preached to the whole world and all the known nations, Liam. And so, you know, what do you make about, what do you say about that? All right, let's go to Colossians 1, I think it's verse 6. It says, which has come to you as in, oh, let's go verse five. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does. Did you, say, did you catch it? Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Paul's writing to the Colossian church. It hasn't reached Australia yet. It hasn't reached out of Asia yet, right? This is, not, this is not what he's talking about. But he's saying it's reached the whole world. Paul, I think it's in Romans 15, he's like, I went house to house and I preached the gospel to every nation. I did it. I've done my job. He did it. Paul spread the gospel to the furthest points of the known world of that time. They did it. They did their job, Right? So Matthew 4, Matthew 24, sorry, where it says, and it went out to the whole, to every ukimene and all the nations. Well, it did. We have a biblical verse for that. We have numerous biblical verses for that. And then the end will come. I'm just going to do one, one or two more things and then we're going to close. So when you see the abomination, verse 15, so when you see the abomination of the desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. That happened. Nero put himself inside the temple. Or the Jews did it. Some of the, some of the uh, religious leaders of that day, they put a statue inside the temple and that was... Daniel prophesied the desolation. When the desolation, abomination of desolation, speaking of the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Doesn't say let those who are in Melbourne. It says let those who are in Judea. Now, I just want to pause right here. If this is talking about the end of the world, why are you fleeing to the mountains? If Jesus is coming back and taking us up in glory, I'm not running. I'm like, here I am, baby, come and get me. My lamp is full of oil. Come and take me home. What a beautiful day that'll be. Amen.
but that's not what this is talking about. Let the reader understand. If you're in Judea, flee. Let the one who is on the housetop do not go down and take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field don't turn back to take your cloak. And alas, for the women who are pregnant, I've met women who have said, I don't want to be pregnant when this day comes. I'm like, oh, it's not what, it's not what Jesus is talking about. And for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. Why not on a Sabbath? Very quickly, there's this thing called the Sabbath day's walk. And you could only go, I think it's like 3.4 miles from the temple. Jesus is saying, pray that it's not on a Sabbath day because if you running outside of Jerusalem, you know Jerusalem's a walled city? If you're, if you're walking outside of Jerusalem and they catch you further away than 3.4 miles, that's not a good thing. They'll know you're, it's on a Sabbath. He's saying, pray it doesn't happen on a Sabbath. Pray it's not in winter because it'd be cold. <laughs> right? For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. 1.1 million Jews were killed in the destruction of the temple. They lost their entire race. Their temple records, the Levitical priesthood records, were wiped out and annihilated. People say, well, the Holocaust was worse. Yeah, there were more people killed. But this was the entire end of the Mosaic lineage. It was gone. They don't have a temple anymore. It does not exist. They lost it all. And it was the judgment of God. He said, all of this will come on this generation. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. It's God's mercy. There's a historian, a Presbyterian historian, who said that... He believes, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but he just believes that 91,000 Christians survived. Why? They knew the signs of the coming of the end of the age. They knew. It's why they sold their land in Jerusalem in Acts 2, and they had everything in common. It's why they did it. They sold their land because they knew within one generation, this place won't be here and will be scattered. They knew that. This was not new to them. In those days, but for the sake of the elect, who's the elect? The, the, the Christians. Those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, there he is, do not believe it. False Christ, false prophets, he's already said that. Great signs and wonders to lead astray. Possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, he did. He came. Wherever the corpses is, there the vultures will gather. I don't have time to go into that. It's a whole, that little passage right there. Um, actually, just Luke 21 is a correlation of this. And we'll, we'll close with this because that's enough study for one day. Luke 21, it says this. 20, Luke 21, 21. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those are who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is the same passage. This is the correlation. This is Luke's version that Matthew doesn't have this bit in it. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. 
Where has that word vengeance ever been mentioned before? Does anyone want to take a stab? Jesus prophesied it when he came on the scene in Luke 4. And he says, Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel and to proclaim the favourable year of the Lord. And the next passage that that says in Isaiah 61 is, And the day of vengeance of our God. He says it here. He says, This will be the day of vengeance to fulfil all that is written. It's actually lazy theology, if I can be bold to say that, to say this is talking about the end of the world. Well, he gave very specific instructions. If you're in Judea, if you're in Jerusalem and you're on your housetop, don't go down, flee to the mountains in Judea. I don't know, like unless you're fixing your aerial, we don't really go on our rooftops very much in Australia. In Jerusalem, they have flat rooftops. When you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, don't go back. Picture this, you have a fortified wall and there's an army outside. What's the logical thing to do? Stay inside the fortified wall. (laughs) But Jesus is saying, don't do it. Flee. C.S. Lewis um, made a comment on this verse. And he said, it's the most embarrassing verse in the whole of the Bible. Because he didn't believe Jesus got it right. But Jesus got it exactly right. He believed that this was talking about a future tense. Now, Matthew 25 talks about, we don't have time to go through the rest of Matthew 24. Maybe, maybe we'll do it next week. But Matthew 25 talks about the separation of the goat and the sheep. Starts to talk, Jesus starts to talk about the end, the end, the end of the world. Or the end of, there it is that day when he will come. And that'll be a glorious day. Be great and glorious. Be beautiful. But Matthew 24 is not talking about that. And I wanted to share this because if we go back to Hebrews 8, it says we're in a new covenant. The old is becoming obsolete and the new is about to come. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70 is one of the most misunderstood things in Scripture because it starts to give us context and understanding that when the temple of God was destroyed, the temp- he's, Jesus, when he prophesied, no longer will you worship on this mountain, but you will worship in spirit and truth. Gives us an understanding of the temple of God that's it, that we are. But it also helps us to interpret the signs of the times and understand. Now, I don't know how Jesus is going to do it. I don't, I don't, I'll, and there's bits that I don't understand. I'll admit that. I don't have all the answers to it. That's where trust and faith comes in. But I've watched a lot of Christians make doctrines out of those verses and call it the end of the world. And I'm like, I'd like to propose that it doesn't say that. That Jesus was actually making this great case of, I'm going to bring my judgment on this generation. Which generation? The Jews, the Pharisees. I'm going to bring this temple down. Not one stone 
uh, Josephus records it that there was actually literally they melted the stones of the temple because it was made out of gold and they would take those stones and they melted every single one of them down to be able to sell there literally wasn't a stone left he tore the thing down he tore it came down on them and and he said we're in the age of the kingdom and I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom and go and advance the kingdom how this thing finishes is important and how we view that we don't just take one or two verses and put them way out of context and bring whatever it is we bring that we actually understand reader relevance and we actually understand oh, i'm reading scripture there's relevance to what jesus was actually talking about in matthew 23 24 luke 21 mark 13 all of those verses are correlation of those things since studying this out the last couple of years the liberty and how much i've realized god wants to advance his kingdom on planet earth is profound because some of the misunderstandings that i had around those verses were like were just wrong and it brought context and clarity to like oh this is what jesus wants to do his wrath was poured out on jerusalem in ad 70. he did it it's done all right why don't you stand I know that's a bit of a Bible study morning and it's, it's not a, you know, a applicable morning in that sense, but I really felt it was important to us as a community that we actually understand how to interpret the times. And if I can just be as bold to say this, that I don't actually give a rip who's in government in Australia, America, China, Russia, couldn't care less because my Bible says that on his shoulders and on and in his kingdom and his government, there will be no end to the increase of it. His government, his kingdom. We're ambassadors of his government and his kingdom. And so some of the things that I think, I'm not saying we don't be, you know, don't be informed and any of those things, but we are to be a people of the king's domain the domain of the king. That's what I want to see advance on planet Earth. And we just, we just keep our lamps full. We keep our oil flowing with the Holy Ghost. We keep our eyes fixated on Jesus because he's now made us the temple. The temple's been, this temple's been destroyed. We're now the temple. And he said, that fig tree will not bear fruit anymore. The old covenant law doesn't bear fruit anymore. We're in a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises, Hebrews says. And when did that covenant end? It ended in AD 70 and the new began. Obviously, the new began at the resurrection of Jesus. I don't I get that, right? <laughs> okay, so that's what happened. And that's the people that you and I are. We are the people of the king's domain, the domain of the kingdom. And he said, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. So, Father, I just pray. I pray anything. 
I just pray that all of that information would go into our hearts because it's truth. It's your word. Anything that's not of you, God, we just pray it would, it would fall away. We would learn. We would grow. We would mature. I pray that we would be able to flesh this out more and more. That we would understand the times that we are living in. That we are to be a people of the kingdom, of the king's domain. That you made a way, that you said, even in Matthew 22, it says you gave the kingdom, you, you took it from those that you wanted to give it to and you gave it to others. Those others are us, the Gentiles. And I just thank you that we would be good stewards of how to rightly divide your word in truth. That we would understand the times that we were living in and we would understand the mandate that you've given us to advance the kingdom of God, to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. You are, our t you are the Lord and Savior of our life. Bless everyone here today as you love to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Mm -hmm.